Why don't you hold on to him for a while? The cult sci-fi classic. Run, run! In a dimension all its own. Real life Martians landing in New Jersey. Bonito, We will hire a portable beam weapon. Vaporize the whole damn planet. If we blow this today, get him up. There ain't no tomorrow. Left, listen, left. This is left. I mean, my left. All left, on your right. The president's calling about is everything okay with the alien space club and planet 10, or should we just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai. Which was yes, destroy Russia or uh, number two? Many a truth told in jest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza, uh, season two, episode three. Movie night invasion, I guess, is what we're calling this part of the season. Um, just doing alien movies. Um, assuming, you know, the three people watching right now know that because I'm assuming it's not anybody <laughs> new. But <laughs> um, all right. I am here with uh, Jay Andrew World, who is perfect. Um, of course I am. And he's going to be leading this conversation because I really uh, am not as well versed in the uh, you know, the chronology and knowledge of Buckaroo Banzai. So I'm going to take a little bit more of a step back this time. I was um, raised on the teat of Buckaroo Banzai, as one might say. <laughs> All right. Conan Rawhide Neutron, uh, another member of this great, um, this great entourage, the, uh, the Hong Kong Cavaliers over here. Um, uh, we have, um, RC Charlie Roberts uh, goes by Charlie, but I like I I don't I don't want you to get rid of the RC. I think that that's uh, I I hear it's a great drink. I was gonna say I love your cola. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, top shelf. But, uh, plug your plug your uh, your sub stack because I can never say I can never pronounce oh, it. And I oh, you can't. Anime Fabio. Yeah. Ah, God, you, you can't speak Latin. God. No. Um. Uh, Ferrochia Anime. Is the name of the Substack, and I will spell it once here and not at the end. Uh, F E R O C I A space A N 
I M I, Ferrokia Anime. All right. Um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for uh, not making me embarrass myself. Uh, oh, you, the, the condescension is just gonna get worse. <laughs> <laughs> until morale improves. Yeah. And of course, we have Nathan Robinson, current affairs editor in chief and the author of Why You Should Be a Socialist. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you on here. Uh, I, you know, this this episode's been in the works, I think, for a few weeks, and we were trying to figure out what movie to do, and then Andy finally pitched this one. I'm not going to take credit for that. Um, <laughs> or the yeah. blame. Well, we'll the picture blame. this. I was, I was nine years old. My dad took me to the World Science Fiction Convention. He wanted to go to a panel I had absolutely no interest to, so he left me at a theater um, where they were showing the director's cut of this film. Uh, and, uh, you know, at one point, like, like I knew I was hooked uh, when when they got to the scene where you know um, John Lithgow goes, where are we going? And everybody on screen and everybody in the theater goes, Planet Ten. When are we going there? Real soon. You know, it's just like I'm like I found my people. <laughs> you know, not everybody gets as fortunate as me to find their people when they're nine, but you know, here we are. Yeah, your people are all named John. Yes, apparently. Is that is that what uh, the J stands for in J Andrew World? John Andrew World. It stands for John Big Boote. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> not small berries. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yeah. But this was this was supposed to be uh, this this cut over Nathan's intro. How's it going, Nathan? Oh yeah, it's great. Wait, there's a director's cut of this film. Yeah, it's that... lost to time though because okay. the, uh, the the original footage is gone. Um, there's still some VHS copies floating around. For okay. Movies. Does uh, it? clarify it, some things not really <laughs> okay um, such as the plot it does have like, the uh, uh extended uh, uh opening where they have uh jamie lee curtis as buckaroo's mother um where, where uh buckaroo's father dies trying to reach the 10th dimension and uh he's working with um uh the doctor who is played by robert ito and i just blanked on the doctor's name um who's also working who also worked with lazardo uh but not mr wizard and um, they, uh, uh, he, you know, he, they, uh, the explosion kills both of his parents. And so that's like how the movie opens. But they thought it was kind of a bummer opening, even though they had huh. Jamie Lee Curtis as, in like a little cameo. Yeah. Uh, that footage survived. So that was able to be restored in one of the later DVD releases. Um, so there's basically like three versions. There's the, the DVD release, which is probably the closest you're going to get to a director's cut. Um, there's the lost director's cut, which, like I said, you get... They actually have they, they um tried to restore the 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 lost bits as best they could, but because they're working from VHS tape, the like the quality just isn't there. So the uh they didn't want to use them in the film, but they wanted people to see them because they're they're just these great moments like uh where where like um uh Vincent Schiavelli was like just sitting there in the middle uh, of the van and he has a battery in his hand and there's a straw coming out of the battery, just sucking on the battery acid. And he turns to Christopher Lloyd and goes, You want some? And Christopher Lloyd just goes, no thanks, I'm driving. And that's the scene. <laughs> hey, you didn't even mention the uh, six-hour uh, David Lynch cut, which, of course, <laughs> yeah. you know, answers all the questions you want answered, but then raises 50 more. Um, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've wanted to make that joke ever since I found out that there were, <laughs> there were multiple cuts. <laughs> um, no, so before we get... Before we get I, I have a question. Uh, will yeah. this be on the final exam? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. before we get into analyzing this movie though um 
one of the lines in this that's uh, really funny is when they mention Orson Welles. And um, the first thing that, you know, the, fir the first thing they say is the guy from the wine commercials. So I wanted to play the really famous video of uh, Orson Welles shooting um, those wine commercials and getting, you know, already having ingested, um, well, it's, I guess it's champagne commercials technically, but, uh, you know, already having seemingly ingested um, tons and tons and tons of, uh, you know, champagne, or it's not technically champagne because it's from California, but, you know, the, the American equivalent of champagne, I yeah. guess. It's sparkling socialism. <laughs> <laughs> we will sell no wine before it's time. Turn camera. Why don't you take one? With overlap, action fees. Action awesome, please. Just do anything? No, it's a, sorry, cut. Yeah, rolling. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So pour my son. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage, dated. So Paul Masson soup. Amazing. There's there's some great stories too about how uh, when I think he was trying to make uh, raise money for Other Side of the Wind at the time, and um, yeah, there's there's some great stories. A movie that was uh, it's interesting. We had uh, Joseph McBride on, and he spent five years being directed by Orson Welles during this time period. Um, you know, uh, so I can't even imagine, you know, how, like, cause Orson Welles had gone through, um, he was going through such a bad, you know, moment of alcoholism, um, at his death. Like, you know, it had just gotten to the point where he wasn't even like capable of living by himself. I think, um, he was living with, uh, what's what, the guy from, he was living with Peter Bogdanovich, I think in, in his, um, yeah, in his like, uh, garage or something. So it had gotten really, really bad by this point. And, mm -hmm. um. And his final performance was in Transformers the movie. <laughs> I mean, he was still making movies. He just was so like down the rabbit hole on it. And and I mean, if you ever actually see which it's available to stream now, if you ever actually see Other Side of the Wind, it's 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 pretty good. Like it's bizarre, and it's sort of like this took you that long. But how's, like, how's Joe's performance? <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, and there's all kinds of Come back on. Come back on. No, he actually wants to. I was... Yeah. I, yeah. He think he wanted to whenever after no, he, we No, we, we emailed back and forth about it. And yeah. then um, I think probably in January or February, I'll ask him because he's he's he was such a fun guest to have. But um... and he's got that new book, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think he's doing um he's doing promo for that everywhere. There's a documentary that came out at the same time called uh, The Love Me When I'm Dead, which I actually think is more entertaining than the, than the actual. Uh, actual film which is which is good uh that's it's highly recommendable anyway i didn't mean to like take it off topic by like throwing it to orson wells because i think it's funny that like oh the guy from the wine commercials because at this point like when the, when buck rubanzai came out yeah 
that would that's what it would have been you know yeah well the, the, game was the a thing long is time ago, just, like like this movie is just like every moment in this movie is just full of tangents like this yeah like like why is yakov smirnoff a a uh presidential aide you know um and, and the actual story behind that is um yakov smirnoff was uh you know was just came to the states was uh you know you know and out in hollywood uh doing his stand-up routine you know, back in Soviet Russia and um, uh, stand up routine. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, they, they liked him. They're like, here, be in our movie. And he's like, well, what part am I like? I don't know. We can have you be a presidential aide. And they're just like, what? <laughs> the toast of Branson, Missouri, Yakov Smirnoff. Uh, Nathan, have you had you seen this mm. movie before? No. <laughs> <laughs> no never once um i'm certain i yeah i know i've i'd heard of it uh it's um uh but i i didn't know anything no i didn't know what i was getting into at all quite the this, was, uh, this, this is this was something this is an interesting choice for me <laughs> <laughs> i so i told i told uh andy i was looking for a, a movie choice specifically with you as a guest and then also knowing that this is the month we're only doing alien movies so i guess that kind of that overlap um leads to some interesting possibilities what why did you pair me particularly with this movie i don't object to this choice i just i just i just see it seems like there were reasons there was some connection in your head fascinated by what it was It's really your choice of wardrobe. I mean, you're like the sharpest dressed man on the left. Um, you know, uh, and I, uh, not even wearing a tie today. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I feel overdressed. I, I was going to say that's the reason Forrest is having Andy run this. It's because he's the best dressed. Yeah, he's I got know. the tie got, and everything. Uh... I got I got just you know subjugated by Andy's dress. Tough liver? Hey 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 hey! It's it's a close close second. Oh Jeez. okay, all right. You know what, Conan? When you dress when you dress like that every single episode, yeah, I know. It's kind not of, special kind anymore, of makes it so that yeah. when yeah. Andy when Andy kind of brings his best, you get my silver yeah. you get a tie on. You get you get a silver trophy. It's extra shiny. It's okay. When Andy dresses like uh, Tony Soprano going to a PTA meeting. Um, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Tony Soprano never had such nice hair. So that's the yeah. only so that's the only reason you picked this movie for Nathan. Really? Yeah, honestly, on a apparel basis. I wanted to draw him like with Buckaroo Bonsai. Just uh, oh, I see. It was for that off. art. Well, yeah, it, it paid off. I mean, that art was worth doing. Yeah, it was. It was really. Just, that it was forever. that shallow. <laughs> Plus, like, it's a great film. I mean, it's just it's so enjoyable. Like, oh, I agree uh, with that. As you dig into it, like there's just like every line is like like you know so much to it. Like you know, um, Doctor Lazardo wasn't he on TV? You're thinking of Mister Wizard. <laughs> you know, who is Mister Wizard? Is that a thing? I didn't know what that. I said to reference it. Is that an actual thing? Person yeah, it was like Bill Nye before there was Bill Nye the Science uh, okay. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like in the a, 70s. A, yeah, like a, like a, a Bill Nye from an earlier generation, slightly uh, less. Um, kind of funny and more just like hey we're gonna do science now and like basically taught a bunch of kids like me how to be interested in science yeah i think i think conan we're like like on the edge of the end of uh mr wizard um mr wizard was great yeah i'm certain that i missed a lot in this film because i didn't grow up in the late 70s early 80s where it's it seems like this film is packed with references to things that kids growing up during that time would 
understand. It's, it's, it's basically peak Gen X before they were making Gen yeah. X movies is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, and that's why it feels like it doesn't go anywhere. No, I'm kidding. Ah! <laughs> Gen X, uh, you know, lion. Um, nice I, one, I, this, this is my first time watching it as well. And I'd heard of it through like, um, like, cause when I was like, uh, when I was younger, I read a bunch of like, uh, strange film books, I think, because I've always wanted to do something like this show and, you know, or, or talk about film. I mean, I want to direct film eventually, but like, so I watched, so I read a bunch of books and like watched a bunch of stuff, stuff about, um, like strange movies. And this came up a lot, but then I never ended up really being like, Oh, let me watch this. So it was a, you know. I, I think it was an interesting experience um, doing that because, you know, this is very much not my generation either. Hashtag not my generation. Um, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's barely my and Andy's generation, right? Like we're right on the cusp of it. Like, it's, yeah, it's, no, but, I mean, I was, like I said, I was nine. It was two yeah. years after the movie came out whenever I first saw it. Yeah. The only reason um, we noticed because both our parents would bring us to movies. We probably shouldn't have been watching at, at the time, you know, <laughs> see RoboCop. But I, I, I mean, it's parents it, don't do that anymore. They just hand out participation trophies. Exactly. No, I'm Goddamn right. Uh, but I mean, I think it's it's amazing that I, I'm just going to pivot away from that, by the way, uh, that like Peter, <laughs> Peter Weller's character, like the titular Buckaroo Banzai, like it's not like a winky, naughty leading man thing. He's basically doing a Bogart. You know, he's playing it straight. Like it's just the world yeah. around him that's like. No, like everybody. Well, except nuts. for except for the aliens are playing it straight. Uh, like, yeah. uh, the, well, and the president and his men. Like, like, like and, you know, the other 90 percent of the cast but yeah <laughs> no no but like like the, the core like like the the uh, bonsai and the hong kong cavaliers and and the uh blue coat regulars they're all um you know they're all pretty much playing it straight for the most part although you know when the kid does come out with the sawed off shotgun yelling you know um uh step back or i'll suck your blood or i'll drink your blood you know <laughs> that was kind of intense it's it's uh it's three years before robocop right like it's not like um because this is this is 1984 i'm pretty sure yes um yeah so it, it's not like also it's like it's interesting that it's not like a, a winking nod to robocop or anything like that because i think peter weller become became most famous for that and i think robocop is an excellent movie um and, and like it's another kind of movie that satire um kind of uh kind of camouflaged in a in an action movie so it's it's interesting that it's it's they're both in that genre but i think it's uh it's cool that he's casting this before um i don't really know about his career before this uh if if you guys want to he still did some movies before this um uh, i think his first starring role was in 1980 if i remember uh correctly but uh uh i am not a peter weller expert i will say like if you really want to see a great peter weller movie that's uh completely underrated the naked lunch um which we probably should do sometime oh yeah the burroughs uh adaptation which is quite fun despite you know mugwamps being actually represented on the screen which was a questionable 80s decision to say the least uh but it, it, it works it, it's no it's all like practical effects and and, mm -hmm. and it's 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 wet as possible it's it's fantastic it, it's 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 on par with alien for the wetness factor yes yeah <laughs> so um i think this is interesting uh with both uh nathan and i on the panel as people that saw this for the first time um wait did rc see it for the first time yeah. What the hell, man? Oh yeah, I forgot you're <laughs> and, and Charlie and Charlie saw it for the first time too. Right. But no, Hi. so I'm saying so the the gap I guess between um understanding and I won't play this whole thing, I think, because it's like five minutes, but um so Kevin Smith is one of the Gen X people that are, you know, uh, fully represented by the 
timeline I think of this movie. And in 2011, um, like he had this uh, show he was doing with New York Film Festival, like the, you know, like um, where he would go and play movies. I think like older movies that he felt like hadn't gotten their due yet, and he would talk to the people that made them about it, which I, I like a lot as like a concept for a for like a live event. I guess he would do these Q and As. Um, so he had uh, John Lithgow and he had Peter Weller on um, with him to talk through this movie. And it's interesting that um, both of them uh, clearly didn't really understand where the movie was going either. So I, I watched it and felt like there was a lot of references that I wasn't getting. And I was like, am I supposed to be getting something here? And then watching this kind of made me feel uh, a little more um, seen by, <laughs> by my lack of understanding. Let's begin with the first moment you guys get the script. Um, it, it, it's got to make an impact. I mean, you know, if, if you, I'd be so disappointed if you're like, I don't remember. Like, it, it's one of these scripts that you got to open and be like, Jesus Christ, this could ruin everything. Well, that's pretty accurate, Kevin. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I, no, I was completely bewildered by it and had no idea what to make of it. And I, I didn't agree. I didn't really want to do it. It was it was way too out there for me. And and but I sat and and met with W. D. Richter, Rick Richter, and Earl Mac Rauch, and they were so enthusiastic and uh, exhilarating. They, they completely sold me on it in like no time at all. Like the minute I met them, I thought these guys are going to be so much fun to work with. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I remember Rick even saying that. He said, "Just do this movie. It either it'll either it won't work and it'll be nothing, or it'll be really, really interesting." And I thought, "Well, that's a good philosophy of life." Uh, and I signed on and immediately started loving it as we gradually put it together. And did he? Did they go after you? They were thinking specifically about you. I think I'd read somewhere from the jump. Yeah, yeah. Based on what do you think? What did they see you? He in? said, "Of all things, I was at a very little." Uh, kind of very naturalistic movie that was made in New York in the late 70s called Rich Kids. And uh, I just played a kind of anguished, foolish, uh, divorcing father of a, of a daughter, of a young daughter. Yeah, I can see the influence here. Yeah, I, I mean, it has <laughs> absolutely, I mean, it was very earnest, you know, it, we, he was kind of a, a comical, foolish character, but it was very earnest, real, you know, it was not not unlike me at all. And he said, that's my Lazardo. I thought, what? what does that mean? <laughs> um, but tell, tell us about your first look at it. No, I felt the same way. Uh, Richter came after me. I guess, he's, I guess he's seen me in Shoot the Moon. And I read it, and I couldn't get through it. I mean, it was, try, it was like reading uh, an almanac or something. And I just, uh, I didn't. Uh, but uh, your panegyric for the film, I have to say, is one of the, it, it was, it's one of the most articulate, not just because I'm in the movie or John's in the movie. It's one of the most beautiful uh, uh, summations of the film ever. Because I have to say, at the end of the end of the day, one of the guns of 20th Century Fox called a meeting for me uh, when the movie was about to come out. And I, I, I said, well, I'm going to promote it and so forth. But no, they said they want to meet. And I sat with this woman and she said, um, in your opinion, how should we market this film? <laughs> And I, you know, I knew that we, it, it was by that, that it was a great film, but 
that Fox had no clue what this film was meant. But no, I didn't. Um, I didn't quite understand it. I, they came after me like like John. But but once you met the writer of it, Earl Mac Rausch, who's a real savant. He was a summa cum laude at uh, MIT in engineering, and he wore his little buzz cut, and he wore these marine pants and red Converse All Stars. Drove around in a pickup truck with a golden retriever the big sort of convex glasses on, and you never knew what was coming out of his mouth. Then I knew, you know, the sort of genius of it. But I didn't understand it, and I don't quite understand it to this day. And I, as a matter of fact, I think you explain it, because it's a genre defier, really. Is it a comedy? Yes. What is it, an action adventure? What is it, a science fiction thing? I, I don't know what it is. That's what's beautiful about it. It's like column A, column B. It's bas basically it's Fat Man's Delight because it's a buffet of movies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's everything you get to pick from. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. But so, so do you guys need me to explain this movie to you? No, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly <laughs> saying that you need to explain this movie, but I, I do find it interesting that like after watching this movie and being like. You know, not, I didn't, I mean, I enjoyed it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's an enjoyable movie to watch. It's a fun movie. But, like, it, it made me feel a little bit better that, like, the stars of the movie are still going around talking about it. Um, You know, like, 30 years, for, like, 40 years later, um, in, in some, like, you know, still actually being, like, because they, they've done other, other, uh, um, uh, events where they've gone out and talked about it, including, I mean, the, the, there was one in, like, uh, I don't remember if it was Dallas or Austin, but the, the filmography wasn't very good. Like the camera was really shaky and I was like, I'm not watching 40 minutes of this, but um, like it, it's, you know, in, in all of them, they kind of make the same, like, can you explain this movie to me joke? So it kind of felt interesting to have a movie where, because I think there's actors will do promo for stuff. Right. And sometimes actors will clearly not understand the movie, but like still kind of act like they do and be dicks about it. Like Bradley Whitford and everything he's ever been in including uh get out including um like <laughs> like there's just so many movies bradley whitford has been in that he doesn't quite understand and he still kind of acts like he does and then people catch him in it and i hate that but then i also hate when people are kind of hostile like they didn't understand the movie and they're like i don't know what i was in just and that happens a lot now i kind of like when it's like listen if you guys enjoy this movie and you think it's fun i salute you for that i thought filming it was fun but i don't necessarily completely understand where it was going so <laughs> I, I'm happy to say that I do need you to explain this movie because okay. it, the fact watching Peter Weller say that he needs someone to explain this movie gives me the confidence to say myself that I also would like you to explain this movie. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Nathan, because I have a movie podcast, so I can't say that. <laughs> it, it, it does get really confusing because, first of all, it's set in New Jersey, but obviously filmed in California. So nothing looks like New Jersey in the film. Um, and then they also fly out to Texas, which is also California. Um, and it's very obviously California again because it's happening uh, in Austin, baby. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> basically, and, and somehow you can fly like immediately from like, you know, uh, performing brain surgery in New Jersey to Texas, go through a mountain and go immediately back to New Jersey like that, which is which is amazing. Um, so 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 like the movie is kind of confusing geogra uh, geographically whenever you think about it. But uh, it starts off. Um, Bonsai is uh, uh, they don't know where Bonsai is to 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 do this experiment. They think he chickened out, but he's actually with his old college friend, uh, played by um, Jeff Goldblum, uh, known better known as New Jersey in the film. Uh, but but uh, he calls him Sydney, and um, 
they, they're, they're performing brain surgery because apparently this person had a brain problem. They're putting a chip in the head so they can voice activate their body. Uh, so they won't be paraplegic anymore. And uh, apparently it's an Eskimo that they're doing this to because they, there's this line like, um, it's like, it's like throw ball. No more from like throw harpoon. That boy's an Eskimo, um, which is just like the best line. <laughs> See, just that scene alone, that would be a full movie. Yeah, and like, 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 in other hands. Uh, so, so as soon as he gets done, he flies out to Texas to uh, to do this test on uh, a rocket car, and uh, he he then um, uh, goes to phase two, which was not part of the the plan. The government didn't expect him to go into phase two, which was to drive through the mountain. Um, they were just trying to see if the, they they could break the sound barrier with the uh, with the car. So so everything was a flying success, and then he takes it to phase two, but only hit, uh, he and um, uh, that doctor who's who's played by Robert Ito knows what's going on with this. He goes to the mountain, which is then all of a sudden um, uh, like televised after it was done because he just he just drove through a freaking mountain. And Dr. Lazardo, who is actually possessed by the spirit of John War, uh, Warfin, who is an evil lord and black lec uh, a red lectoid uh, from the uh, uh, 10th dimension, eighth dimension from planet 10. And he, he decides to murder his way out of the insane asylum that he's living in to go to Yo-Yo Dine to steal the, um, uh, the, the, oh man, my brain saying flex capacitor, which is not what it's called, but the, the, it's the uh, MacGuffin. Yeah. It's all it, that matters. It's that makes, that makes the machine go through the wall, yeah. uh, go through the, the, the mountain. So, so, um, that's where the, this whole movie begins is all that. <laughs> can, can, can I ask? Can I ask clarifying questions? <laughs> sure, go for it. Uh, Lazardo, he's not an an alien. He's he's inhabited. He's possessed. Yes, but he's the, the, he's different from the the ones that look like humans but are actually aliens. He looks like a human and is a human, but has an alien kind of in in his soul somehow. Well, I mean, is there anything left of the original Lazardo or is it just an alien speaking through him? I think that's why he comes across so like like manic through the movie because uh, the original Dr. Lazardo, who probably wasn't all there to begin with, uh is there because remember like they, they show the scene where he, he's on that little like track and um like no don't do that don't not yet and yeah he's ready to get stuck in the wall uh yeah. and then you see it from his point of view and there's like these aliens there that's when he gets possessed um and so i think that there's still something of lazardo in there um mm. even though like uh they, they never really quite explain they, they don't go in at all with the uh that's the MacGuffin in question yes thank the you overthruster um and they, they don't explain at, at all any of this really that you know like like how it, the mechanics of it works it's just this is not a movie is. that's interested in explaining much of anything frankly no now one more clarifying question uh what why is jeff goldblum dressed as a cowboy okay <laughs> for the swag uh, uh, uh it's 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 uh, it's it's the wild west and you you never you never you never quite uh uh understand uh what's what's quite going on but you know what you're going to just enjoy it i think these are sort of questions i shouldn't ask actually yeah. this, this is other movies you ask these questions this movie you don't ask these questions yeah, this is not what i would call a logical film no 
<laughs> Except that I have a sense that there are, in fact, reasons in the writer's well, head. There are reasons, for yeah, for sure. Things. But like, it's not yeah. Euclidean logic, is what it is. Yeah. It, it's like this is logic that, like, it makes sense. I'm sure to it's, the people. It's it's an it's an intuitive kind of logic. I, I think he's just trying to impress the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Is is really what it boils down to? They're all rock stars, and he's like, "Well, I can dress like a rock star," and then he shows up dressed like that. And you gotta send out a uh, you gotta Work send out me. an SOS. You gotta send out an SOS to Ben Burgess and ask him to explain the logic <laughs> going on in, in the Buckaroo Bonsai universe. Uh. <laughs> no, um, yeah, and, and I think Nathan's right. Everything everything is like really well thought out. They just don't really put it in the movie because because like there's just so much of it. Just no like, time. There's so much other. There's like a million more ideas to get through. Yeah, because because we haven't even gotten to like you know uh, Penny Pretty. Right. Well, it's like that the the watermelon, right? Like I know that there is a reason. Like I know that 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 is they have an explanation. And in fact, first I think you sent a clip where the guy says like there's an explanation for the watermelon, but then he doesn't give the explanation. He's like, oh, yeah, if you watch the TV commentary, we explain it. Fun, fun story. Like, 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 I'm sick can of you tell me? And he's like, no, you have to watch it. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm sick of explaining the watermelon. I explain the watermelon all the time. Here's a recipe for watermelon chicken. And, <laughs> and just tell me what it is. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Twenty years ago, uh, the the director actually ran the Bonsai Institute website. Uh, the website's still up, but all the stuff that he did is gone. And he actually explained right on the website. Uh, no, this was like, God, this is like 95, 96, like like early days of the internet. Um, and and uh, apparently, the whole thing was they were making anti-grav watermelons so they could drop them from planes and they won't splatter they'll just lightly land um but unfortunately the the grab the the, the the watermelons would just keep floating away so they they that's why it was in that press so they wouldn't lose the watermelon because the they couldn't quite get the anti-grav to work quite quite but they're going to end hunger with watermelons i'm satisfied with that i'll take it Okay. Wasn't that uh wasn't that Elon Musk's uh <laughs> plan on uh end world <laughs> yeah. hunger? He's like, I will donate all the watermelons I have if, <laughs> if you tell me how you're gonna use them. Yeah, someone someone's just gonna have to teach him how to spell watermelon. But he'll do it. Is yeah. it spelled differently in like different parts of the world? Uh, no, I'm being a dick. No, okay. he was being, it was he was doing an Elon Musk is dumb joke, which I appreciate. Yes. Okay. Okay. I just no. make sure that there weren't like levels, like like a Buckaroo Banzai joke. So, so well, we were chanting because it it's there. not emeralds. You know, Elon Musk <laughs> only really spell the word emeralds because that's the thing he stole from his dad. <laughs> so I, I like that this film basically doesn't bother trying to explain anything. It just drops into this world that it feels like it's like I think I said like you know the third movie out of a much beloved franchise worldwide. Whereas this assumed like oh it's Buckaroo Banzai. Of course everyone knows who he is and like plays his video game and like whatever. He watches them on TV. Apparently. Watches them on TV. Gets their brain performed on by them. He does racing in the desert. Like it's Buckaroo Banzai. Of course. Buys his records. Supports uh, his band camp on Bandcamp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Buckaroo Bonsai dot Bandcamp.com. Uh, the uh, addition, but like, I like that, that it just doesn't, it doesn't do what most, a lot of movies these days do, which is completely over explain. And the worst example of this, and uh, you, you know, I have love for the, for the eighties Dune, but just like, 
all right, here's a, you know, a 20 minutes of exposition dump to tell you what's going on. And then we're going to start the movie up like like that's I like it. It's, it's not remotely interested in explaining any part of any of this. It's just like think of like an alternate universe, James Bond. Right. But but like also like a rock star this is like he's James Bond, but also David Bowie and also like all of these other things and like also evil Knievel and like all those things were like one God. dude. And well, everybody this, knows this, him. And this like, is the uh, this is the opposite of the. I, I like that you threw Dune in as like the example of kind of doing the opposite of this because this movie is kind of opposite Dune, right? Like David Lynch is someone who didn't really uh, care about, understand, or really want to delve into um, Dune, like the the novelization of it. And a lot of people really enjoyed it. And he's like, well, they hired me to do this movie. It's a lot of money. Uh, you know, the novels are good or whatever. Let's do this. So he kind of uh, comes to the to the writing of it, I think, um, as somebody who is looking at it that way. Like, let me make a movie about Dune for someone like me that doesn't really give a fuck about this at all. And this movie is one guy who seems to understand this entire universe intrinsically writing a movie where he's like, let's just assume everybody is me and has written like five <laughs> different scripts of this movie. And let's just throw the audience right into that and just, you know what? They'll be me eventually. By the end of the movie... They'll know what I know. Yeah, it's, it's just oh, like fine. one long series of cocaine decisions after another, <laughs> but it makes sense to him, right? Uh, well, I, I was going to say, uh, Buckaroo Bonsai, to me, is like what an eight-year-old would make as a main character. It's like, oh, he's a he's a doctor, but he's also a scientist. But yeah. guess what? He's also an inventor, and he's also a rock he's, star. And he's the world's greatest <laughs> stunt racer, okay? Sure. Like, I just assume that's how everybody was in the 80s. Yeah. The same way that now mm -hmm. everybody's kind of a DJ. Like, you just kind of can assume that everybody's done something and they're a DJ. Like in this world, everyone's a neuroscientist and, you know, and, and, a, fa and a famous scientist and a musician and, uh, you know, drives on a motorcycle and, you know, has a, has a band of people that follow him around that kind of apparently uh, people assume that they're like the village people and they can just come on and like dress as a cowboy or something like, you know, just. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I, I just love too like, like, um, did you guys, were you guys able to understand the uh, uh, Penny Pretty? That sounded a little condescending. Were we able to understand? Is that really how you coach that question? No, I, I wasn't able I, to understand. <laughs> I, I told you the condescension was going to get worse. Yeah, but I thought you meant from you. Oh, that's later. <laughs> yeah. No, like, like, like that condescension me, fragmentation grenade. Go I'll ahead. be honest. Like, um, Penny Pretty took me years to kind of unwrap that whole mystery. But Buckaroo Banzai apparently married the Queen Have of the You've been thinking about this movie that much? Peggy. Uh, yeah, no, I that's why you're so time. slow with episode art sometimes. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sitting there thinking about, yeah, that's why I've done the arrival yet. I'm thinking about Bucker or Bonsai. Um, okay, do we do but, we need another Vox explainer about this now? We're doing, what are we doing? Just just real quick. Okay. Um, oh, don't like that. Don't like that description of it. <laughs> uh, Bucker or Bonsai was married to the Queen of the Netherlands, who was Peggy. Right. And she died. <laughs> uh, she was killed by the World Crime League. And then um, she, she uh, after after she died, he went through the mourning process, and she P Penny uh, uh, is is Peggy's identical twin sister. Yeah. Um, but they never knew each other. That's it. Wait, 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 wait. Questions? Why? How? How did the Queen of the Netherlands? Why was she the identical twin sister of a woman from uh, uh, was it Wyoming? Yeah, oh, no, they're Wyoming, both born in right. Wyoming. But I like how they got very specific about where in Wyoming, and there was a correction, yeah. which is like, okay, so that's clearly important to the plot for some reason. 
Well, the La- Laramie was famously where, uh, you know, I think this came later, but where the Laramie Project was written from. I remember reading that in taking a theater 101 class. But does that have anything to do with it? Or is that just... I don't know. Yeah. No, that's because that, that was like... Uh, he he Because he, remember, he said what city that, that uh, his wife was born in. Yeah. And she's I, like, I was born there too. So, so like... But there's multiple cities invoked in, in Wyoming. Yes, Wait, there are multiple cities in Wyoming? Wyoming. But she never became the Netherlands. <laughs> and, and, and so I, 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 it's pure coincidence that the long-lost twin sister of his deceased former wife attempts Which, by the way, he to commit tell her he doesn't tell her that she's deceased either no. attempts to commit suicide during one of his concerts yeah mid song yeah, that's that's, mid-song. that's, a, that's coincidental and stopped by the waitress who actually bumps into her elbow right he also acts kind of annoyed that he has to explain this to her which is just a perfect <laughs> attitude for this movie and doesn't tell her that she's deceased he just says she's gone now which could mean like you know took took everything yes. packed it up and moved out yeah or yeah. it could mean like she's dead and he doesn't explain that he's like are you happy now you're adopted uh you lived in a different part of the country your sister's queen of the netherlands i explained it you want to just fucking sh- shut the fuck up and just come out of jail now or like <laughs> right. what? why don't you like, go starting down by law now go ahead <laughs> <laughs> and so he takes her right to the uh to the conference which is being held in the same room where they're about to have a motorcycle uh convention is he also the head of the motorcycle convention? Because, you know, that would have made sense as much sense as anything else in this movie. No, no, but it just it explains why the motorcycles are there. Like, like it's just you know, like like everything is just very well thought out. Yeah, he gets the call from the president. You know. All right, so this is the watermelon. This is the guy getting annoyed um, that he has to, you know, that he's been asked about the watermelon so many times. Which, if you're going to promise to explain the watermelon and not explain the watermelon, it's kind of weird that. You're now annoyed that you have to explain it again. But you know what? We'll roll with it, I guess, like everything else we're rolling with tonight. And uh, and just and just play the clip. <laughs> Jamie, pull this clip up. Just kidding. It's me pulling the clip up. <laughs> Why is the watermelon there? Well, I'm asked all the time, and I'm not evasive. I think if you found an interview or two out there on some websites, you'd, you'd get the answer, but people don't bump into the answer. They seem to bump into the question more. And um, when we do the commentary and we're in the scene about the watermelon, I'd be really happy to describe what's going on in there. I'm, you know, here we are sitting in the Banzai Institute, and there's a watermelon behind me. Uh, I could ask them why the watermelon, but, you know, there's, there are every... Al, could you give me one of those watermelons? Thank you. Okay, why this watermelon? Or why any watermelon? (laughs) Well, really, look at the DV commentary and you'll get the answer to that. But um, I could take this a little further because what's the scene about? It's about New Jersey asking why the watermelon. People have always said, what's the answer? I say, well, after New Jersey got the answer, what did it mean to him? And, well, okay, he absorbed the fact, but then the guy is an epicure. It's little known. New Jersey loves to cook. He's now hanging out at the Institute and there are watermelons everywhere. And I was sent the other day because I said, I know I'm going to be asked about the watermelon again, something that I could say different about it. And I get this recipe. Uh, This is something that it's not clear to me whether New Jersey created this recipe or whether he cut it out from somewhere. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, It's called uh, chicken and a watermelon. And um, you should yeah, put that up somewhere so so fans can try it themselves. But it's a favorite here at the Institute. I just was looking at a menu in the cafeteria. The thing is, it's on there every day. It's like, and to me, you be the judge is the most disgusting recipe I've ever heard. <laughs> Astounding. 
I like that he's kind of a dick about it. That's that's great. <laughs> he says he's not evasive and then gives 90 seconds of pure evasion. Yes. <laughs> I I also, I mean, I don't know. I kind of respect the like uh just the kind of like fuck off. Here's a, here's a random recipe uh bit because I feel like I feel like I feel like anyone could really do that. Like you could like challenge somebody on like why their book is fucking, you know, offensive or something if you're like, "All right, fuck off." Here's a, here's a family recipe that's been you know handed down through the ages. Like, <laughs> explain it. Here's, I don't know. And he also clearly had the other water, watermelons ready, and the recipe. And I mean, it's a DVD. It's supposed to be, I think, uh, theatrical because it's like a DVD extra or whatever. But like, it's still funny to like pretend that you're being evasive or be evasive. Pretend you're not being evasive. Have watermelons ready for a bit, and then also have the recipe ready for a bit, and be like, hey. Why any watermelon? Really, why are we on this earth? Why is anything really happening? Is there a God? I don't know, but you know what? I have a question. <laughs> You're sitting here asking about watermelons when there's murder in the third world? Yeah. <laughs> Across every dimension. It's weird. America yeah. still somehow manages to be the first world throughout the entire eight dimensions. Mm-hmm. You're asking me about yeah. watermelons? Why don't you ask why other dimensions don't have watermelons? Oh, it's, a mid, it's, a, it's a mid-80s movie, of course. America is the uh, first world power. Yeah. <laughs> also there's uh they kind of mentioned like freedom fighters like in the way that we had like you know uh democratically elected governments overthrowing um people during like like latin american and and, and asian and african leaders they mentioned it in the same way like oh um their original like democratically elected leader on the planet was overthrown by a bunch of freedom fr- like freedom fighters and it's kind of funny that like they're throwing that dig at like reagan's uh foreign policy in this movie that kind of everything gets thrown at the wall at you at the same time. It's hard to pick that up, but like it's, it's pretty apparent, I guess, if you're thinking about how to mention Ronald Reagan in this episode. <laughs> yeah. There's no space Ollie North that I'm aware of, but yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I know. Wasn't it the guy who was uh, talking about having a uh, fudge in his pants or. <laughs> <laughs> I've just looked up. Cause I was curious as to what is said on the DVD commentary about the, about the watermelon. And according, according to, to this, uh, site uh according to the geek twins site who say that on the on the dvd the the director richter explains that the that the function of the there's the in-universe explanation for for the for what the watermelon experiment is for in the institute or whatever but then the the functional explanation of why the scene was there was they were testing to see whether the studio was watching uh, to to check to check whether they anything they did made sense, and they shot the scene with this big logical hole where they never explain it to see whether they would get notes like what what's the deal with the watermelon? And because it because nothing came back from the studio, they realized no one was checking and they could do whatever they wanted. See, that's an amazing explanation, and I didn't know that. But like, I, I'm totally. You could put anything in the movie, and I'm willing to forgive it. You know what I mean? Like, so, so, so that, that so that's if, like, if, if if I just may, because I actually have a thing for that. That's like all right, the brown, Jeff Goldblum. That's like the brown M M&M and M thing, right? The whole Van Halen, like, oh, you know, the the brown M and Ms. You know, we gotta gotta have gotta have those M M&M and Ms sorted. That was literally to see if someone would read the writer. So that's just like put in something absurd that you can't possibly forget, mm-hmm. and then see if somebody's paying attention. And, and I've seen I've seen derivations of that as well, uh, usually with other writers. But that 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 actually is that's a surprisingly like logical and practical explanation for a ridiculous <laughs> bit, frankly. 
Um, another, I think another fact to bring in um, during this part of the conversation is that they're kind of making this during a change in command, I think, of uh, Fox as like a, a, you know, as the main company making this movie or, you know, distributing this company or this movie. So kind of um, the people that they were working with that originally greenlighted it and said like, yeah, like definitely um, make this movie, uh, we support it, kind of get replaced during the filming. Um, by a different group of people that which, which is the reason that they brought Peter Weller Peter Weller in to say like we don't understand how to market this because they weren't even the same people that had greenlit it which is also how Starship Troopers got made which is kind of funny yeah well the, and this is the one movie where he's like just like again the traditional we blasted right past it but the traditional leading man style guy like he you could you could easily like swap in like any leading man type of any uh time period to the buckaroo bonsai role and it'd be fine because all he's got to do is have like have have the swagger and deliver the lines with you know a certain amount of uh of authority and and you're good and like nothing against peter weller i like peter weller i mean i i love robocop but that's let's go ahead and say that's not a traditional leading man role right i mean i adore it it's great you know, I, when he shoots that dude in the dick, it's awesome. But like, <laughs> like this is like, a, but it's also I, another role. It could get played by pretty much anybody. Right. Like, true. I don't. Yeah. And, but, it, and, but this was like the where, like there was like a, a minute where it was like, oh, he's going to be the next, you know, like James Dean or Bogart or whatever. And it was, and it was just like, but he was in Buckaroo Banzai. And <laughs> it's one of the weirdest movies of, of all time that like people just genuinely thought, oh, this is going to be huge. Yeah, you think that? Okay, cool. <laughs> Did you, have you seen this? This this you've seen it, right? Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, it's okay. kind of also. Um, no, go ahead. I'm... Oh, there's just that great moment in the Q and A that, that from the Q and A that you played, where I think uh, Weller or, or Lethko was talking about uh, the the financiers from from the banks coming to the coming to the set and them having to try and justify this this colossal use of money to these people from like UBS bank and and Capital One you know who've put up all these millions of dollars and they see just hundreds of people sitting around you know, the set of of this thing you know and you can imagine considering considering the sets and it's a very interesting example of uh, you know a, a movie is such a it's such a, a strange thing to spend your capital on, considering what what the money actually gets gets spent on, which is just like making alien heads and you know uh, and bizarre costumes. And it's just it's it's quite amusing, you know, when he relates this uh, relates this anecdote of trying to justify to the money people what exactly they're doing with all the Buckaroo Bunzai money. And I mean, if you're I mean, trying to I, launder money, it's great. <laughs> and that's why originally we started a podcast, loaning to launder Conan Neutron's uh, drug money. No. Kobe, <laughs> drug money yes. um, no, I. But I also think it's it's really interesting that um, it seems like the first uh, people that greenlit it at Fox, their tenure was very short, and they were kind of these financial. Um, if I'm getting the timeline correct, like they were kind of these financial people that had all these connections and. They're kind of, um, you know, acting as producers for this too, and they're they're bringing their friends around to be like, hey, we're doing this uh, tenure at Fox, and then get replaced during this this filming. So it's funny to like think of like these financial bros that like I'd assume like their friend like they're bringing their friends down to be like, hey, look what we're doing now, you know, invest some capital in it. This is our new thing, and then their friends are like, what the fuck is this? 
<laughs> well, I mean, you know, if it wasn't for people money laundering, we wouldn't have Steven Seagal or Jackie Chan, really. Because um, they, they both, uh, all of their films were like actually produced by uh, the mafia. Um, Jackie Chan by the Hong Kong mafia, obviously, and, and uh, Seagal by the uh, U.S. mafia. Um, but but it's, it's a great way to launder money. It really is. Uh, I just wish, um, you know, fucking Giuliani ruining a good thing. Like, how many more Seagals could we have had if it wasn't for Giuliani cracking down on the mob? So many Seagals. <laughs> you know, I, I admire the just getting away from that immediately. Uh, I I admire the, the the no origin story provided, nor expected. Just hey, here's here here are these guys, and they do this stuff, and like let, let's go see what they're up to. Like that is kind of refreshing and it's a very 80s thing but i feel like it's also very like ahead of its time too like i think it was something like galaxy quest or something like yeah that. uh they, they also tried they did try it in leonard part six um i thought they tried that already yeah. horrible horrible movie don't watch leonard part six um my friend eugene robinson is in that he has he has he has tales oh okay um but yeah get him on get him on uh bad takes yeah maybe maybe i should do that <laughs> Talk, talk Leonard's part six. With He'll, he'd probably do it. Uh, the So where I was going with all that was, was that, like, I, I think, like, again, that comes back to, like, the exposition dump. Like, here's here's the character as, like, a you know, young person having the traumatic event that led them to blah, blah, blah. It doesn't care about any of that. It's yeah. just like, yeah, do you need to know, like, what, you know, how James Bond became James Bond? Well, of course, they have Casino Royale. But, like, you don't, right? So, like, the, the idea of just, like, we're just going to assume that you're going to be into this enough that like you're not really going to care about that piece of it so we can just get you like the seventy thousand ideas we have to like sort of shoehorn into this movie and yeah, i feel this is more like a, akin to like the daniel craig james bond movies um yeah. but but not quite as lovingly uh you know much more lovingly put together than any daniel craig movie that's not casino royale yeah, well, and and so like again, I'm going to come back to the fact that that's that's unique. Like most people don't have the audacity to do that, right? Like and and just be like drop you in like as if the story's already like it, you know, further along and 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 not spoon feed it to you in any way, shape, or form. Uh, is it successful at doing it? I don't know. I mean, I remember I saw this as a kid, not as young as Andy, but I saw this as a kid with my dad who just could not stop laughing the whole time. Didn't understand any of the humor. And all I remembered as a kid, I was like, wow, that was a weird movie. Then I watched it as an adult. I'm like, that's a weirder movie than I remember it being. And like, that was a weird movie. And I like, I have a goddamn eraser head photo behind me. Like, I love weird movies. Right? Release the David Lynch cut of, <laughs> of Buckaroo Bonsai. No, but there's almost like a, an almost, um, I think it, it precedes this, but like, there's almost like a neoliberalizing of uh, the action hero. As someone who's kind of doing a bunch of stuff at the same time, has like all of these side hustles, you're supposed to assume from it like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to be just happy with my job. Maybe I'm supposed to be doing all these different jobs, kind of have my hand in all of these different plots. Um, like at, at the same time, fan service is all over this movie, right? Like, but it's a fan base that hasn't even been created yet. So it's like kind of a, a proto, a prototype of that style of like, let's reference a bunch of stuff and assume that the people that understand this are going to keep um stay there you know what i mean like and assume that maybe we can actually franchise this like at the end of it they're kind of saying oh they'll be back for this and um kind of create it in a space where you're not just assuming that there's going to be one movie you're assuming there's going to be several movies it's going to be a franchise there's all these other uh, opportunities i think around that 
um, the, the hero of it isn't just doing one thing. Like you could take that in a lot of different directions. And I think the fact that we're kind of in this age, um, starting at that point of like extreme commerce or like extreme, you know, financialization of things like kind of plays into that. Um, and, and this movie kind of precedes that in a lot of ways. It's not quite related, but I just as you were talking, it made me think that there is another connection that I feel to this movie, which is this strategy of just saying, "Oh, Buckaroo Banza, you know Buckaroo Banza," and people are like, <laughs> oh, "Do I know Buckaroo? Yeah, the famous, the famous hero in all the comic books, Buckaroo Banzai." Yeah. You're like, "Oh yeah, I guess I yeah, of yeah. course yeah, Buckaroo Banzai yeah, he's huge yeah, it's going to be a big franchise. It's massive. The the creation, the kind of fake it till you make it." Quality is one that actually I've deployed successfully myself in my own life through Current Affairs, which is that when we founded Current Affairs, we tried to find a name of a magazine that was a thing that people would feel stupid if they admitted they hadn't heard of. So, like, actually, it's go, actually really so funny go, like, that because I said Current Affairs, and my mom was like earlier tonight was like. Oh, that's uh, that used to be a radio show, right? Current Affairs. I, well, I yeah, people, I'm... people are like, you know, oh yeah, of course, of course, Current Affairs, because yeah. it sounds like a thing that already yeah. exists. No, so really if you do that, that, if you do that, if you just go, oh, you know, the big, the big famous thing that exists, and yeah, yeah. and Everyone you do that it. enough, <laughs> and you prey on people's insecurity, um, you can bring into existence the very phenomenon that uh, does not exist, but you wish to see exist. Well, I mean, the Economist has been doing that for like two hundred years. They're just like, oh, you're not reading. You're not reading our our magazine. I guess you don't know what the latest economists. You don't are know saying. the Economist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the flex you want to see. I, I also yeah, I, I, I think that's it's pretty amazing, and I think that that's something that's been deployed kind of as an experiment multiple times, right? Um, in the years since this, like, there's, um, you know, what I mean, like people have kind of made up, uh, uh, like almost like fake movies that people should have seen. That they kind of have pressured them into being like, oh no, yeah, I, I saw that movie. I remember that. Like, uh, it was a movie with uh, was it like Shaq as a as a genie. Um, people <laughs> made up right. and they like, yeah. So they kind of like did an experiment where they were like, people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. No, that. you're thinking. No, Shaq did do a movie as a genie. It was it was um uh, oh uh Sinbad. Sinbad. You're thinking of. Oh, Sinbad. yeah. Well, so so that so I think those. So people are like, well, the connection, yeah. So the connection people were making were Which like, seems correct. Ever, so it becomes yeah. true. Right? Did you ever that, see that, my tweet about, uh, effect, yeah. Yeah. about that to, to Sinbad? <laughs> I, I tweeted Sinbad. I said you should just make a, a Kazam two and, and just make references to this other movie that doesn't exist and, and like you know just keep gaslighting people. <laughs> and, and he's just like, I just might do that. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. I think also about like, you know, the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, like grindhouse thing, you know, where you had a planet terror and um, um, the one with the car. Uh, death proof. Death proof. Yeah. And they did all the previews that were from movies that didn't exist. Yeah. And they basically had their, their <laughs> friends like do these previews for things like, oh, yeah, yeah, that looks like that would be. And then like one of them, I think, was Machete. Right. And then mm -hmm. they end up making not one, but multiple Machete movies. Amazing movies, by the way. Like yeah. fucking amazing machete yeah. movie. Two was the multiple, Andy. So yes, two. Thank you <laughs> Wait, for the correction. Really? We regret the error. Um, <laughs> oh, I, but, I, but I also think that that's something that's been uh, deployed in satire really well. Like, I mean, we talked about Spaceballs already. I guess technically this week, but um, when we did Alien, <laughs> but like, you know, Spaceballs did it really well with uh, making fun of the merchandising when Mel Brooks like merchandising, 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 and then they did Spaceballs two, the search for more money. Like, 
it's but this movie kind of does that without without <laughs> any that. any um I mean Spaceballs did too, but like you're kind of realizing, all right, they're parodying Star Wars and how much that's been merchandised. Um by our friend Bonnie Burton. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like how much that's been merchandised in, in the decades. Um, well, in, in that case, I guess, I guess it was like, it was over a decade since it came out and you know, they're making fun of that. This movie kind of seems to do that intrinsically without actually ha having you uh, needing to be tethered to this franchise. They're like, this is going to be a franchise. And by the end of it, you're like, was this a franchise? Like, did I miss the franchise? Is this something that I should have known about the whole time? Like, is Buckaroo? Are there other movies? Like, am, am I am I missing something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've only seen I've only seen the Ninth Dimension. Like, I've got to watch the other ones. Okay. <laughs> Where is this World Crime League one? Well, apparently the those scripts that that are lost to time too. Uh, like, they were all uh, Buckaroo versus the World Crime League, except for this one. <laughs> So um, there's also a there's also a and I, I guess I'll bring this in um, talking about uh, Earl McRush like the writer I have a clip from that um, Q and A where they're talking about at one point they talk about the fact that like either I don't remember if it was a fire there's something that with his like truck and he lost a bunch of the scripts that he had written and he's like oh don't worry they're all in my head which makes a lot of sense Whoa. that like you know he has all these ideas and he's been thinking about this and it was going to be a TV show at one point like. There were all these different uh, conceptions of what this could possibly be. It, so it's this one guy kind of thinking through a franchise, and then eventually it's like one part of the franchise gets greenlit. And he's like, all right, well, I'll do that. So I, I as someone that's like very creative, I think, and like I remember as a kid like inventing like – because I didn't – you know, I invented like random characters that I liked, like not – because my parents didn't have like cable or anything. So like, you know, like – so I, I invented characters I liked or something, and like I can imagine – being an adult and being like, oh, I'm going to bring these characters into something and pitch something with them. One and of them is going to be named J. Andrew World. Another one's going to be named Conan Neutron. And <laughs> I imagined all of this, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. but there's a... <laughs> imagine it now. Can, can, a, can, um... can you imagine me a better life if, if this is what you <laughs> Why the fuck have you imagined me in this fucking reality? Imagine me differently. <laughs> No, but so I can imagine though, I can imagine being someone incredibly creative who hasn't been discovered yet, having like years and years of, because they said that they started planning this movie in college um, or this character in college. And this is like, you know, over a decade later, like uh, having thought of all these ideas and being like, I'm going to include these ideas. And these are the ones that are best suited for this uh, franchise. And then maybe there'll be more of these movies later and I can explain things differently. And then it, there aren't, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, there are comic books. Yeah. Let, let, let's you know we, we do have uh, it has lived on in comics. Um, the original like adaptation was uh, done by uh, Mark Texiera, who who um, I actually met uh, uh, at a party with Kevin Smith back in 1999. Oh, did you say um, Kevin Smith? Hey, yes, yeah. Speaking, oh. of, <laughs> speaking of Kevin Smith. Oh yeah, speaking of Kevin Smith, mute the mics. <laughs> What, how do you pronounce the writer's name? I've never known how to say it. I've said Earl Mac Rauch. Earl Mac Rauch. And what did you guys call him? Earl Mac Rauch. Mac. 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 Actually, yeah. This I've read a, a lot about him on, on the internet as much as I could find and whatnot. This was a dude who was working on several different scripts for several different Buckaroo Bonds. At first, it was Buckaroo Bandy, and then I think it was um, what's his name? W. D. Richter. What did you guys call him? Rick. Rick. He was the one that suggested call it Buckaroo Bonsai. And then it, it kind of, uh, they started building Western theme around it. He wrote, according to what I read, several different screenplays, started a bunch and wouldn't finish any of them, would start and then let it just stop. And he kept expanding 
a universe that nobody knew about, which I always loved. Like when I, I remember seeing this movie on video and going out and searching for the novelization because I saw it listed somewhere. And the, the novel the, the, that I guess he had written himself was so dense and so packed and filled in so many questions that anybody that loved the movie might not have like known about and also whetted your appetite for shit like how do i jan is coming next the guy that killed peggy and stuff like yeah. that and then it never fucking came but um it was it was uh it, i remember being entranced by the story because it doesn't go any place you want it to it won't conform at all um was he around was the writer around oh, on yeah. set the whole oh, time yeah yeah, yeah. and and going back to that lunch yeah. when they persuaded me to do it, uh, th they were full of all these other stories. They had clearly created this yeah. extremely complicated uh, yeah. backstory and things that were going to happen. My impression, I'm, I, I don't know whether I'm right or not, but I, I think they were Dartmouth roommates or yes, something. I remember reading that as and, well. And that they used to just kind of riff on Buckaroo Banzai stories. Huh. The way the story and, that I read online was the uh, one of them, uh, W.D. had read a book that Earl McRouch had, had written and uh, he liked it and he saw he was from Dartmouth and he reached out to him. He was like, hey man, I'm from Dartmouth too. And the, Dartmouth or Dartmouth? Dartmouth, Dartmouth sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the guy before who was like Lithgow. Um, <laughs> Lithgow. Uh, so he reached out to him, they became friends and then they started talking about screenwriting and they started talking about the creation of this character and it went on for years yeah until i guess wd had taken off or gotten a career in the business and then he said come on out and they started yeah. working on this slowly i think he wrote new york new york yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. scorsese movie. Really. Look at that. Earl, or, or earl rick earl yeah it was really a mind like a trap man he was a genius head i had a couple of lunches with him and he was around but he's he had you know he had engineering stuff and he had done an entire tour of the Bible Belt tent revivals for two summers and was taking notes on writing a comedy about Bible Belt tent revivals. You know, it's just astounding guy. It's awesome. Yeah, that, that dude wrote that. Remember that Scorsese movie nobody remembers that, like, is a saxophone player and like well i don't want to sound stupid so yes i totally remember yeah remember when that happened see i'm just doing the same trick we talked about right well yeah everyone remembers the saxophone scorsese movie of course yeah what robert de niro played the saxophone <laughs> <laughs> but like no that i mean i think that is kind of it's called, uh, new york new york if i remember right but yeah like it's like uh, um i mean it's like mid you know like it's an imminently forgettable movie even for scorsese but it's like yeah that dude wrote that and like he ended up writing this, you know, a couple years later. It's like, okay. But apparently he had been writing it for like a decade, which is insane. But it kind of also, um, I feel like he's into Nathan's point that he made where it's like you can kind of fake your way into like, you know, everybody knows Buckaroo Banzai. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I must. Like, oh, it's yeah. also the thing about like Sounds doing the Elon, the Elon Musk thing where you kind of have a bunch of ideas that aren't really in fruition. You just kind of pitch them to people and you're like, you know, I have all these ideas. I'm a genius. And they're like, well, he has all these ideas and they sound like they're, you know, good ideas. I, yeah, I guess I guess that guy's a genius. And it kind of in some ways almost sounds like, uh, uh, you know, Earl Mac Ray or whatever. Like he, he kind of um, almost uh, like made it seem like that. You know what I mean? Like they're still like, well, listen, because there's a part later on in the I think later on in the Q&A where they're like or well, it was that part. But then later on, they explain it more like um, it felt like he was such a genius that I wanted to be in this movie after not understanding it. 
It's like almost like uh, gaslighting someone into being like, well, there must be something I'm not mi- like something I'm missing because um, I and this guy's a genius and there must be something that, that I'm not getting. And I should be in this movie because it's going to take off. Um, that's what p- happened with Pete Buttigieg. Like, like people saw. <laughs> By the way, I have to talk. I have to. Oh I mean, God. when we do Sabbath Cipher tomorrow, um, uh, Gav and, and Kitty did their first episode on the Mayor Pete documentary, aka the Mayo Pete documentary, and I had to watch ten minutes of it, and I feel like I threw up a bunch of times. I watched ten oh. minutes, and I was like, "No, I am not clipping this for Kenzo." No. <laughs> so anyway, Earl Mac Roche, genius, fraud. Charlie, what do you think? Oh, oh, so I get to be critical now? <clears throat> All right. Well. You have an hour to think about it, so it better be fucking an, good. An hour. I've, I've had an hour to think. Well, I've been thinking about other things, but <laughs> no. Um. Anyway, um. I don't know. Genius or fraud? Usually you require a little bit of both, so... I'd say both. Um, you know, as they say, shit has its own integrity. <laughs> anyway, um, when I first was watching this, the first thing I thought of, I was like, this could be an anime. In fact, I thought it should be an anime. <laughs> you should uh, you should go back to 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 you know the 1980s and tell them they should make an anime. Goddamn right, I'll go. I'll go back. I'll, I'll, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll of course. The, the term would have been Japanimation back then. Yeah, there you go. See, can't say that anymore. Movie night extravaganza canceled. <laughs> I would swear to God, if we got canceled for that, I'd be so pissed. <laughs> <That'd> be, <laughs> so many other jokes. Damn it, Andy. No. And I mean, <laughs> I was gonna say, Andy, you're wearing a tie. Be professional. No, I made I made a joke um, on Twitter last night where um Medea went back in time and burned down the Reichstag, and I did not get canceled for making that joke. Um, yeah. because because someone had tweeted like a the feminista Jones tweet from a while back where it was like, Oh, Hitler was actually going after black women. And you know it wasn't actually the Jews, so I made Tyler Perry's Medea burns down the Reichstag, and I did not get canceled for that joke. If I get canceled for Andy saying Japanimation, I'm going yeah. to be pissed. I mean, that's just what was called back, you know, like like that was just the name of it. It's it's like oh, referring God. to something really offensive in history, you know. And, and Andy just really doesn't like want me to be critical of the movie. You know, he, he just now he just we're getting canceled. <laughs> yeah, can can we let Charlie finish a thought? Do you think that might be? I, I was going to say. I was going to say, shut up. No. Um, anyway, yeah, Nathan, that's enough out of you, man. Yeah, maybe I need the gavel. Jesus Christ. Um, no, I was gonna say that's my first thought was, uh, oh, this should be an anime. So if anybody decides to reboot it, do that, please. Uh, I feel like because this is my perspective, but I feel like the movie doesn't fit the meat or the uh, idea doesn't fit the medium, if that makes sense. Because not only was I get the message, oh, Jesus, no, I wanted no, I, I said, I said what I meant. I wanted to make a Mark reference and sound smart. I'm I know. Well, <laughs> there, there are other ways to sound smart for us, just because just you watched one <laughs> movie with him in it. And we all know what movie that is. <laughs> we can't, oh, we can't God. say his name because we're 99% of the way into getting canceled as it is, but yes. Um, but basically. So that was my first thought, and then I thought, you know, the idea didn't quite fit the medium. That's where that uh, idea of the uh, anime came from. But, so, as I was watching it, um, one of the thoughts I had about 
uh, Bonsai and his group is it it almost seemed like that they were a I don't want to say idealistic, but they were a mirror to the American national security state. In my opinion, they've got the ability to track people. They basically they have the irregulars who they can call on at any time. They're running around with guns, doing whatever they want. You know, they've got science to back them up. They're just it's basically the national security state, but with with heroes. Um, and since you mentioned Ronald Reagan, I'm obligated. Gore Vidal, that was, you know, his talking point, the national security state. But that's the first, that's one of the things I thought of, which I thought was interesting given it was in the uh, 80s and stuff. But, you know, you know, you could almost watch the movie as though, uh, Buckaroo Banzai is like this shadow government within the United States of America <laughs> doing the things that are, you know, the things that people want, but you know, they just do it in a very cool manner, you know, and they also play, you know, music. Um, the only, the only other thought I had because I'm a nerd is that, um, <laughs> is that um, this seemed, it seemed kind of proto meta modern. And I'll explain that first off, Metamodernism, as far as politics and philosophy is concerned, is stupid. Don't read about it. It's ridiculous. Never. But as a literary movement um, or a, a movement for uh, different mediums, it's kind of interesting because it, it sounds like, focuses. Sounds like uh, my same my same reading of postmodernism as a concept. Pretty, mu pretty yeah. much, yeah. You know, with postmodernism, don't go to the philosophy. Don't listen to Jordan Peterson. It's not that big a deal. With metamodernism, basically what it does is it oscillates between modernism and postmodernism within the literary frame, and in this case, in a cinematic manner, where for me, it seems like uh, Buckaroo Banzai kind of oscillates between some kind of irony and some kind of sincerity, where, you know, for example, the scene where, um, uh, is, it, is it Penny? Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when she's there and she's, you know, going to kill herself and stuff, you know, the, the crowd is jeering at her and then it's, it's kind of offset by Buckaroo Banzai being like, Hey, you know, basically let's be nice to her. You know, he, he's, he's sincere about it. He, you know, he wants her to, which is like the you famous know. line from the movie, no matter where you go, there you are. Yeah. And also, so as an aside, I'd just like to point out that he senses that somebody in the audience isn't having a good ride. Right. Exactly. Which it, you're too stupid <laughs> to have a good time. <laughs> Which Conan it's, always, you know, it's a natural thing frontmen have. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's why I've also been, I've been tracking this, by the way, from Rocky Art Picture Show saying it's not easy having a good time. To uh, Patrick Swayze saying, "You're too stupid to have a good time." This movie saying, "I, they, you know what I mean? There's someone out there that's not having a good time." Yeah, it's really just a, yeah. just a threat, right? And it's a running right. threat. Yeah, right. And I was going to say, at "War of the Worlds, 1937." That's that's why that's why he's such a good asset, you know, as a as a shadow government, <laughs> because he can just sense when somebody's not having a good time. He's like, "Oh, you're not having a good time." <laughs> Interrogation? No. Um, Continue the coup. Let's <laughs> coup stop, uh, just just uh, just like stop the coup. Somebody's not having a good time. <laughs> Everybody focuses on one person. 
Why that, was, you uh, that was one of that was one of the plots against Castro, right? They're just gonna make everyone have pretty much time that no one cared that the U.S. state just came in and removed Castro. Um, Castro's having such a great time; they just carry him away. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, but from a the, the meta modern perspective, there there's a definite oscillation throughout the movie between kind of a irony and a, and a sincerity that I found was interesting. It's not overly pronounced which is why i said proto metamodern but i found it kind of interesting to to look at and see how that goes about you know and in the middle of this oscillation you have jeff goldblum you know stating the obvious which was appreciated by me as i was lost the entire time so um those are those are the main thoughts i had it should have been an anime um buckaroo bonsai is a heroic uh, mirror to the national security state, and um, the only difference is is that you know they kind of set up the U.S. government as incompetent, whereas he's heroic and he knows what he's talking about because apparently nobody else knows what's going on. And well, it's, it's kind of I mean that that thought of it right, like as right. something that's kind of um, hovering between sincerity and irony, that's um, trying to make a statement about that is kind of preceding Verhoeven's work. Um, yeah between RoboCop, Starship Troopers, like, you know, those movies throughout the 80s where we've talked about this extensively, I think, at this point, but, like, you can't really, um, you, you can't really uh, mock the U.S. government during the Reagan administration. You can't really, like, you know, like, you can't really point out the right, yeah, privatization right. in pop culture. So you kind of have to hide it behind different things right, yeah, where right. it's kind of like an absurdist or an ironic or something like that to kind of... Yeah. Um, to kind of get people to start thinking about it because, you know, pushing it down people's throat, then Reagan will just show up on stage with an American flag and everyone will start cheering and be like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, you know what I mean? It's like, be like, it'd be like yeah, it'd be like, be like the end of Bob Roberts, basically. It comes on stage. So, so it, it is kind of interesting that way. And I felt, you know, I mean, the fact that multiple actors in this movie ended up in Verhoeven movies later on right. um, really kind of uh, pushed that in for me. And I, I know that's not what they were going for because Verhoeven hadn't made those movies yet. But it's like, right. you know, it's interesting. That it's kind of like scoping out which actors are game to make those statements and, right. uh, and, and, and continuing to put them into movies that are actually, I think, in a much more direct way making those statements. Right. And to give context kind of in a cinematic manner to what metamodernism is, at the moment, it's mostly associated with Shia LaBeouf, which... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm, but, I'm muted, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of the metamodern directors now who are, uh, who are doing this are, are people like Wes Anderson and, um, I don't know, Charlie Ka uh, Kaufman... Um, and for TV shows, it'd be Dan Harmon specifically when he did community. Um, that's kind of the meta modern, you know, to kind of give this context, but, um, that's kind and, of and what Wes Anderson was directly inspired by this movie, um, for the life aquatic, um, right. the, like when they're all walking out and I have a, I have, I, I have to find it. So it's not going to be up immediately, but there's a Jeff Goldblum clip where he's talking about how, um, during the, 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 work up to because nobody's really directly asked jeff gold about this movie they asked him about all the other movies pretty much he's been in and he has a but like i guess he got asked and i found this clip that's on uh it's on unlisted for nerdist where he explains that uh the wes anderson told him like oh i really liked buckaroo bonsai and i liked that last scene where they're all walking why don't we do that for the life aquatic yeah it is it is an incredible scene like it's, it's like one of the best you know 
uh, credit scenes I think I can think of like that. Like, you know, there's just the theme song playing and they're like just walking in the in the, in the aqueduct. And it's yeah, it's which, great. Which Jeff Goldblum was playing on the piano whenever they're all hanging out in the. Uh, in the yeah. Uh, in, the, the, the theme. Yeah. The love theme to Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, <laughs> so ca- capping uh, Charlie's points, I, I think that's interesting because I don't feel like this is an ironic movie in any way, shape or form. I think it actually is, is if anything, like slightly farcical, but shockingly earnest for such an absurdist affair well like, like yeah really maybe, shockingly right. earnest maybe, maybe irony is not the right word maybe it's a, a oscillation between humor and sincerity yeah. it's just metamodernism is built as a oscillation between irony and sincerity but maybe oh, no, this, I, I, yeah. I totally get the yeah. point but I, I just think that that's that right. i was trying to i was trying to define why i was why was it funny to me but like also like oh this is a fun thing to watch like i don't right. have to think too hard about it too because like it's like you're never gonna take in all the points so why mm-hmm. would you bother thinking about it like that hard but right. uh i don't know but then i'm also interested nathan what i mean what do you think about that did you did you did you feel like it was a fun movie i mean did you think that this yeah was- I, I had tons of fun how could you not have fun yeah i mean it seems pretty <laughs> it's everything you could possibly want as kevin smith pointed out it's, you know every you, you can't really what do you want out of a film that you don't get out of this film? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Like, what are you like, asking for? I think there are, there are some of my favorite movies are like, like, look, is this like the pinnacle of filmmaking? <clears throat> Not really, but is it, is it loads of fun? Hell yeah, it is. And there's something to be said for that, right? Like there's something to be said for that. Yeah. My, yeah. The my... clip ready for us or what? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, waiting, I'm waiting for the clip to load up, so that's why okay, I so had myself on mute. And I was... uh, but I mean, it, so do you think so? So Charlie just dropped the whole like sub show worth of uh, commentary and and and, th- and thoughts on this as he as that's a writer is known to do. Uh, do you, how do you feel about that, Nathan? And to be for playing from you, so I'm not going to ask yeah. you. Well, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like, how do you feel about that like shadow, whole shadow government like mindset and like? All well, that? I, I mean, isn't that common in a lot of? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know that it's that different from a lot of superhero films that have the sort of. Uh, where, where you analyze them for a second and it turns out they're all fascist vigilantes, um, you know, who are doing the bidding of U.S. empire. Um, oh, c- certainly, I, y- you do get the distinct impression that if Noam Chomsky would have one look at the actual actions of uh, Buckaroo Banzai, I would see him as... Uh, <laughs> Just, just, just another branch of the uh, the imperial state. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to. I would like more Buckaroo Banzai films uh, because it's very, and also it's very easy to assume that the story we're given about who's right among the aliens is true. But I'd like more context on uh lord john warfin or whatever it is you know he's presented as as a a fascist enemy but as we know the united states presents all of its uh presents all of its enemies as thank uh, god that glenn greenwald's written an entire book on lord john (laughs) warfin no No, i i listen i I, what? Um, <laughs> there's there's explicit um like apartheid references in some ways too like throughout this um i felt like with you know what i mean like having kind of the the race of aliens are you know the the branch or subset of aliens that have just kind of um looked at jamaica 
as a a place and show up and they're all kind of Jamaicans and then other you know other aliens that are like oh well, these are the black like toys and these are the red like you know what I mean like there's kind of feels like in some ways like there's a there's a group of people um who have kind of been freedom fighters overthrown a democratically elected government um in their in their terminology uh that they had and now he they're in charge but you don't get any other context besides that and it feels mm-hmm. like explicitly there's there's a lot there there are a lot of questions when it's like because the 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 uh implicit thing is they overthrew our government we don't like that um and if you don't help us we're gonna just destroy earth um <laughs> when when you know what i mean like when he gets a message it's like there are quite a few questions that i have from that um you know especially as someone on earth but you know that's that's that, that goes without no, saying you're on earth there's something to be said is that an analog for american foreign policy too right you know help yeah or else <laughs> right do the right thing well yeah. i i also thought it was kind of interesting that at least at first the aliens were uh dressed in suits and ties as opposed to um um buckaroo bonsai and and his group which seem not to be uh in suits which are uh, 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 uh dressed in a uh, 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 cowboy cowboy garb uh uh with the uh i was gonna say i mean i still appreciate that he was there stating the obvious part of the time but um i i just thought it was interesting <laughs> that they had the the suit and tie for the uh aliens um i i I don't know. I don't want to say that there was a, a, a sort of a symbolic attempt to show class or something where it's people in suits and ties against people who don't wear those. I don't think so. It's um, snobs versus slobs, which which is like a, a big 80s theme. I mean, look at like Caddyshack. Look at like right. you know, all yeah. of these other genre moves of the time. It's snobs versus slobs. That That's... And and ultimately, that is like a class reductionism, sure. And like, by the right, way, I'm probably right. the least qualified person in this panel to talk about this shit. But it's hundred percent true that like it's a class reduction thing because it's like, okay, well, why is someone a snob? Well, they had all this money to have the elite education, where they decided that they're the ones that are like above the labor and so and so on. Like, it's it's in it's emblematic of like a lot of films at the time that it doesn't get too deep about it, but it's there. I mean, like right, places, yeah. right, which right. is. It's Holy kind crap. of an aesthetic. It's kind of an aesthetic to the the movie. It yeah. seems. Um, you could also say that everything is there because there's just so many ideas. There's just so much freaking going <laughs> right, on. Right. Yeah. Pretty film, much. Right? It, yeah. I was gonna say stop it, for a macro second. <laughs> I, I was gonna say it's like it's like someone gave uh, Nietzsche Adderall and said, "Hey, don't finish any of your ideas, but just throw them all in there and hope for the best." Usually, um, usually I. But usually I take my. I mean, I'm on. You know, as I've said on this podcast, prescribed Adderall. Usually I take Adderall understand 80s movies a lot better and then go you know what i actually get what was going on in this movie in this case i, I spotted you know, all, i spotted all the ideas in this movie i can tell you which one they are orson wells war of the world <laughs> connect the dots sheeple connect the dots um but yeah, i will I, I will say though if there was ever a war between the snobs and the slobs i'd be on the side of the snobs i can't help yeah it. yeah slob life all right, you fucking William F. Buckley motherfucker. <laughs> oh, oh um, God, it hurts. So Just I'm gonna I'm bit. gonna play this this Jeff Goldblum clip and then um, go.
go to final thoughts. Well, first the letterbox reviews and then final thoughts, I guess, to wind this down. Cause I feel like this conversation could go forever and I've been trying to keep these down to uh, less than two hours. Cause I feel like that's the most viewed um, <laughs> version of this show. All right. So this is, <laughs> this is, this is uh, CIS at Jeff Goldblum. Full um, disclosure. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> but I was happy to see that when I worked with the very brilliant Wes Anderson and did Life Aquatic and then came to that end sequence where we did the uh, end credit sequence where we par parade, he said, you know, this is kind of a, I think he's, people have surmised that it was an homage and he was impacted by it. But I think he told me, unless I'm misremembering it, unless I dreamed this, he said, you know, I did like that, that uh, we're sort of doing what you did in Bucker Banzai. At the end, you know, everybody parades, the characters come together and do a, an end credit parade to music. So we did that in Life Aquatic, too. How about that? By the way, Jonathan Banks in this film, as the hospital uh, um, administrator dude, like Jonathan Banks of, of, you know, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Yeah, Mike yeah. Ehrman Trout. Yeah. And looks yeah, like, a lot like... Uh, looks a he lot was like young once, as it turns out, but still looks cranky. It's great. <laughs> That's why he looked at them and he said, Walt, Walt. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's, he's my favorite character in both uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Like, he just hands down, just any, any storyline he's in where he just talks slowly. I'm like, I'm sold. This is, this is a hundred percent. I'm into this. <laughs> here, here's my, here, here's, here's my list, right? Him, Al Swearingen from Deadwood and Omar from The Wire. That's my team. Uh, RIP. So, you know. Omar from the wire recently. That's, that's ridiculously sad. Yeah, and it feels yeah. like another, I mean, we talked about kind of, uh, um, pandemic, um, you know, like the, the pandemic kind of being a place where people kind of have mental health issues and, and, and drug issues and everything else that aren't really addressed. And it, it feels like it, that's kind of a, a realization that, um, people that have been going through recovery that are on the level, like even, even people that are going through recovery that are in, um, that have been in several really, really good TV shows kind of go through that same struggle. Yeah, and he also, like, uh, in The Wire was helping one of his co-stars go through it because um, she was, um, uh, she, uh, she played the uh, the the, the um, girl who came in towards the end of the show who, who was, like, a, um, you know, one of the drug dealers. Um, she In real life, she was, like, in and out of prison because... Oh, yeah, she, um, uh, what what the fuck? She's fucking terrifying, right? That, yeah, no, it's yeah. just, like, she's, like, five foot nothing and, like, Marlo's uh Mar the, the girl that works right under under Marlo. Yeah, um, no, no. And, and like like she she was uh she she worked as uh his protege for a while and, and like um he was trying to get her cleaned up so she can have more roles and she was phenomenal in the wire. Um, she scared the shit out of me in the wire. Like that character is terrifying in like a real life kind of way. And it feels like you know what I mean? Like in the wire, like a lot of like a lot of characters that are you know higher up in I think different um different organizations feel like they're kind of you know like kind of jockeying for power oh snoop that was her name snoop uh, yes snoop, yeah so she felt like uh, like real to the point of being like a, a insane well, I, I mean that that was her and, character you know her in real life yeah um but like she was actually trying to like get past this and and you know uh because she she just you know was at that moment done with you know going in and out of uh, prison and, and it was um uh you know conan's guy there um uh, whose name is completely Michael K. Williams. 
Michael K. Williams, yes. Oh, I was going to say, um, are you saying... Are you Michael saying, Kenneth uh, Williams. Are you saying Conan, <laughs> Conan's been working for Marlowe this whole time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, Cover, Michael maybe. K. Williams, who, 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 who plays basically her enemy on the show, yeah. um, like in real life, was like taking her under his wings and trying to get her out of... Um, uh, the the situation she was in, yeah. uh, which is which is amazing, and like, you know, he still had his own issues that he he, he couldn't quite overcome. So no, a hundred percent, and he's been in like a lot. I mean, I even remember uh, he was in uh, trapped in trapped in the closet, the R. Kelly like yes. thing where you know they did the his the, star like, turn really. No. Yeah. But well, no, come but, on, it was well, that MC know. Hammer backup dancer was a star turn. <laughs> Like just, but he's been in so. I mean, Boardwalk Empire is fucking pretty amazing, and you know he was amazing in that too. Like he was an actor that really like was great at the craft, and it's like you know it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for anyone to lose their life to addiction, but it's like it's you know when someone is that talented, and you realize like they must have kind of had a moment where they were going through this insanely hard time, and you know lost to it. It's like I, I feel like is because the outpouring of love that that guy received from everywhere. He was he was a democratic socialist kind of like he's been on multiple uh left shows and actually had been talking about different ideas that like we we espouse like you know what i mean like i didn't know any of that about him um you know, he complimented my was... artwork once did he yeah yeah i drew him <laughs> it, it just it just felt like it was someone who kind of had this um innate understanding of uh human nature as someone that had gone through all this stuff and you don't really i mean you you do get that from omar on the wire but like I wish I knew more about his life when, you know, besides just watching the shows that he was on. But um, we do this thing called one <laughs> one sentence letterbox reviews. Um, you know, we should also where, say before we get into it, just, just you know, since we're kind of uh, down here, um, well, if anybody who's watching <laughs> does need to reach out to, uh, you know, like my, my DMs are open. Um, seriously, like, like, you know, reach out if you feel, uh, you know, if you feel like you need just to talk. And he so, is perfect. So he will yes. answer. Yes. All right. So we do this thing, one sentence letterbox reviews. Um, we you know we, we go on letterbox, which uh Nathan, I don't know if you've uh you've you've been on letterbox before, but it's a uh movie reviewing app that kind of democratizes, as Conan likes to say, um like film about reviewing, democracy, baby. Yeah. Where you know people can kind of do, give these uh give reviews of whatever they watch, decide whether it's you know good or not, and it mm -hmm. operates kind of like a social media app where everyone's kind of viewing, I mean, it does, where you kind of have a, new, have a news feed and you can see what everyone else has been watching and um, really get an understanding for how people in general feel and not just film reviewers. So uh, we find, well, Conan finds um, yeah, we film mean. reviews. <laughs> yeah, just are, like a I, boss, taking all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yo, you guys better not yeah. fucking try to unionize, by the way. Someone said unionize all workplaces on Twitter earlier, and I was like, I was like, not the two of you. Not because <laughs> I don't have any money or pay anybody. But you know, like like poignant, <laughs> funny, evocative, clever, just like not folks that are like known movie reviewers, but just people. Just, just folks that are it strikes the fancy it's 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 funny it's 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 terse unlike me i'm a very not terse on uh on letterbox i'm a long form man in a short form world but anyway uh that's sometimes the bit. i do sometimes i do two of them and i try to do one that's like witty and then i try to do one that's like real but i yeah. don't know i kind of feel like i'm doing overkill so so is, so is there any difference between the two no 
<laughs> anyway, uh, Forrest is on as the show as Movie Night Extravaganza. You can uh, you can follow him. Uh, I'm I'm on as well. As Once again, just like a boss taking the full <laughs> as is andy and i i like it because it's a collaborative and you get uh the kinds of opinions and thoughts you get like it's just not what you would get from uh, regular media so i think it's very it's an interesting site and probably one of the only social media sites i frankly like uh because of that and these are the ones that i think were funny or interesting or whatever uh for this particular movie this is the exact number of dimensions i like in my movies <laughs> <laughs> nice. Parker, is there someone out there not having a good time? <laughs> I so that, this one's so this one's so funny though. After talking through like how many movies that we've watched for the show and in general that like kind of have a good time as like a line, you know what I mean? Like this well, movie is right in the middle of it. <laughs> it's an empathy thing, though. Ultimately, and is it is it weird? Yeah, is that not at all how shows work? Definitely, but you know. I appreciate the the thought towards having that be a significant part of the script as much as it's well like, it's it's kind of a it's the proto vibe check it is like let's let's see this room vibe check <laughs> yeah the intergalactic anti-racist struggle against fascist imperialists is the only fight that's ever mattered and uh you see that across star wars you see that across uh, a whole bunch of different um <laughs> you know what i mean like different space movies which is interesting that it kind of gets put into the science fiction genre for like you know specifically because i mean like star wars as a as a movie kind of taking place during these decades kind of has imperialist uh fascists as the core villains you know what i mean oh yeah does it yeah i i, I don't know that's what bonnie told me <laughs> <laughs> A fun trip with the most famous and loved band of surgeon scientist crime stoppers who save Earth from an alien race of Johns. <laughs> different, different race of Johns than what Kamala Harris was proposing, I think. No. <laughs> uh, don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because remember, no matter where you go, there you are. I, I I do really like the beginning of the trailer where they're like philosopher. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the existence of this film was a celebration of life. <laughs> I agree with that statement. Yeah. John Big Bootay. <laughs> <laughs> you got a big bootay, so I call her Jumpy Bootay. Every movie's in credit should feature the main characters strutting down the L.A. River. Raymond Ainsbridge. Obviously, Wes Anderson agrees, but I agree. I think that's a killer way to end the movie. Actually, well, how, else, how else would Wes Anderson end a movie? He's got a, bunch, <laughs> he's got a bunch of various white guys traveling down the L.A. River. Like, <laughs> I got a bone to pick with uh, Tubi, actually, which I, is what I... Uh, I don't even want to give them the plug. They rewatched us on recently because it does the thing where... No just, shout out. No shout-outs. No shout-outs. No Terrible <laughs> service. Uh, the thing with Tubi is that like, it does the thing where it wants you to watch something else immediately and not watch even like one second of the credits. And I'm like, yo, fuck that. That's like one of the coolest things about this movie. And I, I was like just frantically trying to get to the remote to tell it to stop doing that. Anyway. See, that's but, why I watched it on Canopy, which you can access with your library card. So there you go. Fun okay. isn't hard when you have a library card. No. Um, I would like to point out also in the graphic that I that I decided to go with whatever state of mind I was in. It's uh, Jonathan <laughs> Banks getting shoved up against the wall, which is really funny that throughout Breaking Bad, it seems like he's almost invincible. 
You know what I mean? Like yeah. besides, yeah. I mean, not to bullets, but to everything else throughout that movie, he's kind of <laughs> even even at like seventy or eighty years old, like able to just beat the shit out of people. And it's kind of funny that John Lithgow just throws him against the wall in that context. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I wish it were possible to high five a movie. Joe Hell Rogan. yeah, bro! Goddamn huge, right, huge rock. <laughs> I don't care what you think about me. This shit bangs. <laughs> Wound Warrior four twenty is that user's name, by the way. Wound the Warrior. <laughs> this movie has everything, including my heart. I like Tiffany that one. Yeah. Yeah. This is what happens when you ask people for movie ideas and then use all of them in one movie. <laughs> Fucking bro for that one. Oh fuck. <laughs> but yeah, um, so our Letterboxd, our final... place for film. Follow Movie Night Extravaganza on Letterboxd. Follow me, Kona Neutron. Follow Andy World. And Nathan's new current affairs letterbox that he's been creating in the background. <laughs> Do you have one? I mean, Nando's on there. Not the other, you know. I disagree yeah. with him on everything. I, this is the first film I've watched in like okay. six months. I don't really? Know. Wow! Congratulations! Condolations? I don't know. How do you? What, I just. <laughs> so thanks. It's condolences, but congratulations. Congratulations. You you just offered him a high five, and you take it away. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like the, the the one film you want to come back to, right? It, it's it's something this dense. Well, it's Schrodinger's well, that, that was what was nice about having it be the one movie for a long time. Is I feel like I got everything. That, you you know, got all the movies. All the movies in a movie. I don't, I don't need any more awesome. movies. I've seen them all. If you <laughs> if you can only watch one movie, watch this watch movie. one that has all the ideas. Um, I mean, and you'll never need to watch another movie again. Yeah. I will. And I will say I'm announcing that this podcast is ending after. This. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> all out. I was gonna. I was gonna say I don't want to burst your bubble though. I'm never gonna go back to this movie again though. That's okay. One time's enough. I was gonna say, um, congratulations is what you say to like a rich socialite who make, who makes it to the end, still married to like a a, a billionaire, and he dies, and you're like, congratulations. <laughs> you're rich, and he's dead. Anyway, <laughs> I've been watching Succession. That's been like my thing for the last couple of weeks. So it's been, it's been a, a fun time doing Oh that. really? Um you don't say. Yeah. I haven't posted about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's something I shouldn't like, but I quite like it. Like I feel like there's all these reasons why I shouldn't care for it for some reason, but it's a very well done show. I like it. Shouldn't care for it because it's Dasha from Red Scare, unless she decides to come on this podcast. And then in which case you should love it because it's Dasha from Red Scare. <laughs> um all right. Well, starting with uh, starting with Nathan. Um, final thoughts, um, Kenzo. I swear to God, tomorrow if you steal this bit, I'm gonna murder you. Just kidding. I I work on that show too. No, Kenzo has a thing now where he does this, but then kind of changes the wording because he looks over at me. Yeah, just enough to avoid litigation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Notoriously litigious podcast left. Yeah. <laughs> he he just pulls out his thesaurus. He's like, okay, different words. <laughs> All right, Nathan. Final thoughts, ideas. Uh, you know um, the current the current affairs of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you made me uh, watch this, but I'm very glad you did. Uh, I Andy, <laughs> not me. <laughs> I will take it. I uh, no, I, I I had a fantastic time. Um, 
Well, actually, I host this podcast. Um, Both watching it and and here with you. Is that you don't you don't have anything else to to add? What do you want? Do you want like a theory of the film? Like I I I feel like this is not a film that actually I was worried coming on here. I was like. I'm not sure this film is like very susceptible to like analysis. <laughs> we, we, we did some, but <laughs> other than how it was made, which is it resists, yeah, my, my miracle, really. It, it resists theory the way it resists okay. genre. <laughs> you could describe this film for ten hours, but you know, to analyze this film, I, I'm not sure. And then, and then he, you know, he walks out, and I don't know if it's a reference, but <laughs> two hours later, and he's still in the first ten minutes. You know, there was there was a watermelon, obviously a reference to to Fidel Castro. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, someone put up um, a picture of uh, Castro, like the the Cuban forces, all kind of posing in a very similar way to the end of Buckaroo Banzai when they're walking together. Like it was a, a similar picture today, and it just happened to be posted by like a, a socialist the picture. Uh, Twitter account, so I put the two pictures next to each other and tweeted it out. Fantastic. Um, oh no, solid secret. Anyway, uh, you know, Charlie, let's hear some thoughts. Hear some thoughts. Let's let's think. I I, 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 I let's, believe when you. I just, believe. I, I believe when you speak thoughts, they become words. Let's see no. some thoughts. See some thoughts. Show us hashtag. Show us the thoughts. Listen, it's not too late to kick you right off this fucking show, man. We'll do. Oh, it. really? It's not <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, <laughs> go off on a rant. No. Um. Final thoughts. We already did oh, Big Trouble this, in Little China. Yeah. Does this mean that we're gonna review Big Trouble in Little China, my friend? Use YouTube and let's look it up. <laughs> yes, it's, it's in the archives. It's it's pretty it's pretty good. If I do say so myself. Well. Um, final thoughts. Uh, this was this was a a, a wonderful um, movie about a shadow government that learns about the power of friendship along the way, <laughs> and um, you know comes together. You know, share you know with the shared love of watermelon, and <laughs> you know saves America once again. Once this again, and I, you know, you guys have all seen the multiple other times they've saved America. Obviously, it's pretty impressive. This and is like you, the fourth you, you time. <laughs> Conan, let's hear it. Uh, again, uh, this is a uniquely strange, weird, and wonderful movie that pretty much completely defies description in every way, shape, and form. Uh, is it eminently watchable? You bet. Uh, would you have to pay me money to attempt to describe it to somebody? You bet. I'm not uh, doing that. Yeah, don't. Yeah, I, I know you are. <laughs> uh, I think that, you know, is Peter Weller as Buckaroo Banzai a Mary Sue? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, probably. But does it work? Hell yeah, it does. And like the fact that you got this whole cast of characters as the Hong Kong Cavaliers that, that just, you're just expected to be like, Here's some awesome dudes doing awesome dude stuff. Great. That that sounds lovely. Thank you. Thank you for that. Which is kind of which has kind of aged well because um I think you kind of get the role out of different like pop bands or like, you know what I mean, like groups sure. of of like different like almost like YouTube groups that haven't done anything and you're like, "Oh, this is the blah blah blah" and you're like expected to just know who that is. And like it's like when the strokes like came kind of, out and you're like, "I don't know who these fucking assholes are. What are you talking about?" And like, "Oh, it's fine. Whatever." <laughs> you're like well maybe that was just me i don't know every everybody else on but it, i mean it's funny that it precedes social media right because a lot of yeah. social media for me it feels like when i decide to watch a show or watch like something um sometimes it's based on the recommendations of other people 
And it feels right. like this movie is kind of uh, performing that function for you. Like you don't know, you don't know, you know, the, the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Like you, you really yeah. don't like, Hello. what the hell, man? You don't have their first seven <laughs> records. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's like kind of whispering that in your ear. And you're like, well, I guess I, I guess I should. Well, I, I guess one person who would hate this movie is probably Theodore Adorno. It's just, it's just straight culture industry. Also, Hong Kong Cavalier sounds like another CIA asset. Then. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. <laughs> All right, anyway, back to my final thoughts. Uh, I also appreciate that the musicians actually are playing, although Peter Weller especially has one of the weirdest 80s guitar tones I've ever heard. Uh, and that's that's only for the other people that care about those kinds of things. But like, it's not exactly cocaine decisions as for the band, other than the fact that there's multiple horn sections. Like, There's multiple dudes playing horns in that band, which is... I guess error appropriate. Uh, I think that this this movie is a movie that, uh, at, on the face of it, is there to be enjoyed, not analyzed. Which is why I think my, I think when this is originally suggested, I believe my reaction was wow, and <laughs> and I stand by that reaction because I, like I love this movie, but it's a lot. It, this I movie think, is a lot, and I wish there were fifteen more of them because, like, I feel I, I, it deserves it. It deserves it more than even things that are like weird or like adorable or whatever uh, people call it uh, <laughs> have a life of their own. And I think that you know, it's it, if it was one click better, and I like it a lot. But if it was one click better, it would be something that like has defined culture for a generation. And um, that's guess, crazy because it I guess, is. I guess two things obscure. to bring up before you before the end of this because I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, I think the biggest uh, cocaine decision that's like the most drastic in this is that they filmed part of this with the same guy who had uh, just shot Blade Runner as the cinematographer oh, yeah. two years before, and yeah, they yeah. fired. They had a disagreement, fired the Blade Runner guy, and then purposely brought in cinematographers that were worse. Um, in order, like, in in order, like, we'll show him. We'll show that motherfucker. Yeah. No, they were like, I don't like the Blade Runner look, which Blade Runner is obviously. I mean, it's still fucking huge, but like, yeah. No, like at this time was like huge. Like they're like, oh, we don't like the Blade Runner look. Bringing people that don't have as much experience. So this movie is shot partially by the guy that was the cinematographer for Blade Runner, and then partially by other people, which adds to the weirdness. But then also think about how many movies tried to look like Blade Runner after Blade Runner. Yeah. And, and how much of a drag that is, right? Oh, God. It's sort of like, if you think about it, 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 it's like, yeah, man, you know what? I like Nirvana, too. I don't want to hear your version of Nirvana. Cut that shit out. It's annoying. Don't do that. Well, I mean, uh, a lot of movies actually, you know, uh, ripped this one off. Uh, like Back to the Future, for instance. Uh, Spielberg saw this movie mm. and said, that's my time machine. And the life aquatic of Steve Zazu, Zizu, whatever. I watched it a million fucking times as a kid because I was really, really into marine biology. And, uh, you know, yeah. Steve's, well, you're wearing the hat. So uh, I was, was going to say Steve Slazo. And Jacques Cousteau. I was trying to, you know, trying to recall that. Good, good enough. I was going to throw a Zizak reference in, but that's fine. Uh, marine so biology. The most important, ideologically speaking, marine biology is the center of everything, and so on. That's the remake, is that's who gets to be Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> you don't know Buckaroo Banzai? Buckaroo Banzai. I am the one who plays the rock music, and I am the one who stands on the stage and perhaps will go through the mountain. <laughs> 
I would fund that remake. That sounds incredible. <laughs> <laughs> the the I mean, only allowable remake. remake. I just want him playing like 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 reading all the lines. I mean, just imagine you know like like um. Let's crowdfund that shit. At night and in the dark, you are who you. <laughs> I, I'm 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 not ex. I'm not exactly entirely kidding when I say let's crowdfund that because I first of all, literally stranger things have happened. But anyway, uh, final thoughts on it. Uh, I think it's 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 a movie best experience not analyzed, but I, th I think it's bizarre, and it's a lot of fun and it's worth watching. I'm upset that neither of you guys said, "Don't be mean," because remember, we don't have to be mean, no matter where you go, there you are, and so on. I just assumed you were gonna do it. You had the impression down. I, I, well, I was gonna say that 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 was a little that was a little bit of a cross between dracula and g-jack but it's good i want to i want to shuck your blood and so on he's workshopping the material give him a break man all right any 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 final sentence because i'm trying to you know get us out of here while while i mean the big thing is this dimension this movie is is like one of the cornerstones of who i am um which is why sometimes you don't yeah we can tell what the hell i'm going you know have going on because I just attack it so deeply. But I think my final thought will be. Oh no, I already said the history line. Never mind. We can go on. That's good. It would have, it would have been really funny just to throw on the uh the end, the outro. <laughs> my final thought will be I'll tell you later. I, I, your final thought should be I've been ionized, but I'm okay now. <laughs> my final okay, thought, and listen, this is gonna be a big one. All right. Ew. I'll tell you later.